Last week, if you were here, um, we, we spoke about uh, the Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist, the breaking of bread, whatever title um, that, that you, you want to give it. And um, it was interesting because I think, like, well, I thought it was interesting. Um, but we, we went on a bit of a journey, didn't we, from like the Lord's Supper, when Jesus um, initiated that around the, uh, the table with his disciples just before his crucifixion. And we looked at the story right the way through until the church was born and they celebrated their first Lord's Supper together as the church. And in that, um, during that story, there was, there was a, a passage in there or a verse in there that spoke about how Jesus um, taught the disciples in a way after his resurrection his resurrection that opened their mind to the scriptures, right? Is any, does anybody here that was here last week remember that? Do you remember me saying that? Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening. Um, so I want to pick it up from there. Now, I don't know, is, is, it, is anybody here actually wrote a sermon? Just tell me if you've written a sermon, right? Written a sermon. Nicky, put your hand up. Thank you. Right. So one of the, one of the things that um, when you're writing a talk or a sermon, deliver to the church. You're, you're taking something from the Bible, right? You're taking something from the Word of God. And the, the, the problem, it's not really a problem, but the problem <laughs> with God's Word is it's a moving target. It's a moving target. The, the Word of God is alive, which means that when you go to look at something and study it and it gives something in your heart to bring it, what happens is there are so many other things going on that you think, where am I going to land this? Like, what is it I'm actually going to end up talking about? And this is one of these moments. I started writing this talk, and um, one of my kind of ways I do it is if things come to mind, if I'm reading something or I'm praying or something comes to mind that God gives me, I just, I write it down or I put it in a Word document, you know, tag about a scripture and a sentence or two to it, and it kind of sits there knowing that I'm going to come back and use it again. So I was starting to write this talk, and really, I got about four pages in, and I thought, that's probably long enough, and I realized I'd just written an introduction, <laughs> because actually, to introduce what I want to talk about, it's such a kind of expansive subject that um, I feel it's going to go on for some time, so I felt like I was going to write one talk, but I actually think God's branched it off, and he's, he showed me a, a number of other things. Um, and so I've entitled this talk, Open, Open Your Eyes. So we're going to go back to Luke 24, um, which is part of where we were last week. And, and um, this is Jesus. He's risen from the dead. He's, he's revealed himself to the disciples as someone who has died and now lives again. And the disciples have gone through um, a confusing um, period of time where the, the risen Jesus, when he comes to them, he doesn't, they don't recognize him. They think he's a ghost. But then he shows them the scars on his hands and his feet. He starts to speak. And then it's when the words, Jesus starts to speak. We notice this. And all the, after his resurrection, when Jesus appears to people, when he appeared to the, the woman at the, at the tomb, when he appeared to the, the guys on the road to Emmaus, it's when Jesus starts to speak. When he brings a revelation of the, his word, that's when people recognize that it that it's him. And Jesus is now speaking to the disciples of recognized Jesus when he's revealed his scars and he started to speak to them. It says this, 
Jesus said to them, when I was with you before, so that's before his resurrection, before his death, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Okay, so this is the thing we're hanging all this on. Then he opened their mind to understand the scriptures. And he said, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. So they're witnessing the fulfillment of that prophetic um, scripture from the Old Testament. It was written that, that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to tell all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. So Jesus is telling that, pointing out to them there are prophecy fulfilled, that he would come, he would die, he would live again. And now he's given them a prophecy that they are going to see fulfilled in their journey. So it was written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Then Jesus led them to Bethany and lifting his hands to heaven, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he, was, he left them and was taken up to heaven. So they worshiped him and then returned to Jerusalem filled with great joy, and they spent all of their time in the temple praising God. After the resurrection, Jesus stayed with his disciples for 40 days, and he appeared, we think, to around about 500 people before he was taken to heaven. And what we're looking at today, these are words that Jesus spoke, pretty much his last words before his ascension, back to heaven. And for the disciples, you know, we, we mentioned this last week, I think, that for the disciples, we, we have the, the benefit of having the Bible. So we see, get to see the whole story. But the disciples, remember, they're living this in real time. So what we read about them, they, they, Jesus has told them what's to come, but there's never a point they 100% fully understand what's ahead of them. And the disciples were in shock when Jesus was arrested and crucified, even though he had told them plainly that that was going to happen. And that's quite often the way with us, isn't it? We, we read the Word of God, we hear from God, Jesus speaks to us, and we're still in shock and awe when the very thing that he's told us is going to happen happens. Is that, is that, we get that experience, yeah? <clears throat> and... One of, the, the, one of the motivators, apart from the fact that Jesus called them uh, and they couldn't resist him, but they, one of the reasons that they, they followed Jesus is because there was a belief amongst the disciples that, that Jesus was going to restore the kingdom of Israel and he was going to reign as a physical king. That, so it was going to be like a, it was going to be like a, a, a restoration of like a, a nation, a, a, a geographical and national kingdom. And suddenly that thought has been, um, it's gone when Jesus, um, is by Jesus' death on the cross, because then the, 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 the thought that Jesus could be the physical king of their nation, that's gone because he, he's died. So that kind of blows that away. And then three days later, they get more puzzled when they see Jesus come to life. Like I said, they think that he's a ghost, but then Jesus proves that he's not a ghost by allowing him to touch his wounds 
and he had a meal with them. And then we find that this condition of the disciples reveals that for all that they spent that time with Jesus, there were still loads of things happening where they just they don't really have a clue what's going on, even though Jesus has revealed a lot of this to them. They're not even sure, I'm thinking. They must look back at the time when Jesus called them and some of them dropped their fishing nets or he called them away from their places of work. And they say, like, we're going to go on this amazing journey with Jesus. But actually, once they're into this journey, they're thinking, what on earth did we sign up for? It doesn't look like anything like we thought it would. But now that Jesus is resurrected, he brings them together and he reminds them of what he has taught them and what the things that they were taught and what they saw and experienced, what they really meant. In our passage there in verse 44, Jesus said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. So what Jesus is saying is, listen, everything I went through was according to what has been prophesied about me in the scriptures or what we would know as the Old Testament. If you read the scripture, nothing should surprise you Sorry, what he was saying to him was, if you read the scripture, nothing should... Sorry, I thought it was me saying that to you. This is Jesus saying that to the disciples. What he's really saying is, he's saying to the disciples, if you read the scripture, nothing should be a surprise for you because everything has been prophesied. Right? The disciples knew the Old Testament because they were brought up in that culture and they knew the, the writings of the prophets and knew the, the teachings and the words of the prophets. And so everything really had been already revealed in plain sight. But the understanding wasn't there. And we know that the understanding wasn't there because Jesus then goes on to say, then he opened their minds to understand the scripture. This passage we've read has got two parts. Jesus said that his death and resurrection is part of a prophecy which has now been fulfilled. And the next part is for the disciples to proclaim the repentance and forgiveness to all nations, which is yet to be fulfilled. Yeah? You're with me here, yeah? So there's a prophecy fulfilled, that's the death and resurrection of Jesus, and there's a prophecy yet to be fulfilled, which is their, the plan and purpose that Jesus has for them and for us moving forward. You see, if we are to allow Jesus to open our minds to the Scriptures For us to understand the scriptures, it's to know that we are, we are currently in the timeline of the epic story that begins from Genesis to Revelation. It was interesting in our worship that Kenny and Sandra, they spoke about the Holy Spirit through scripture, and they were in Genesis, Matthew, Acts, Corinthians, and Revelation. Right? That story, the whole story of the Holy Spirit, if we want to learn about the Holy Spirit, we start in Genesis and we look for him and find him all through the Old Testament, all through the Gospels, all through the book of Acts, all through the letters of Paul and John and Peter and in John's revelation, yeah? It's, it's a story, right? It's a narrative. It's not individual text that we pull out and use for our, our own purpose. It's a story. And guys, we are in that story. We are in it. What's that story of the Bible? It's still alive. 
It's the Word of God. It's alive. And that's why when we're putting talks and sermons together, that's why it's a moving target. Because we're talking about things that have happened and have still to happen, or maybe things that have happened are happening and are still to happen. Because God's outside of time. He's outside of space. He just, it's, it's ongoing. And we are a part of that. You know, a lot of people, I'm not a great reader, but I know if you're reading a novel, a lot of people like to check, go to the back of the book and see how it ends. <laughs> um, so they read the beginning, they read the end, and then they come back and read the, the, the whole story. And I think what that is, is that like, like, we, we all love to know how a story ends, don't we? We all love to know how a story ends. If you read a book, if you watch a film, you're taken on a journey, you're going through a narrative, aren't you? You're on that journey through the film. You're on that journey through the book. Sometimes you might feel that you're actually in it. When it comes to the Bible, you are in it. You literally are in it. And it's okay to do that. The Bible has already told us the end of the story. But God doesn't want us to skip the middle and jump to the end. Because the middle part of the story is where we are right now. Yeah? So we know how this story is going to end, but we don't know how it's going to unfold. We do, to some degree, because there's a direction of travel, but in the, in the day-to-day, in the moment-to-moment, in the opportunity-to-opportunity, we don't know how that's going to be fulfilled. In the book of Acts, Luke told the story in a little more detail. So if you're, if you're reading about this stuff, read the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke and the, and the Book of Acts. He wrote them both, and it's like, uh, I think Kenny described it like, you know, Luke is the first film and Acts is like Luke 2, the sequel. And when you open the Book of Acts, you get a recap of the back end. Did I say Acts? Yeah, you read Acts and you get a recap of the back end of the Gospel of Luke. And so Jesus, uh, Luke recaps the story of Jesus talking to his disciples as we've just read. So he says this in Acts 1 verse 6, when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? So that's how we know that the disciples thought that Jesus was going to be the physical king. I'm in the right place. They're still asking those questions. I know, I know. I mean, he's died and rose again, for goodness sake. What more, what more has he got to do? And Jesus replied, the Father alone has the, uh, has the authority to set those dates and times and they're not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's what our worship was about this morning. You will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The disciples expected Jesus to restore the kingdom of Israel right now. But Jesus didn't want them to focus on when the restoration not a visual, but the whole of God's kingdom was going to be restored. He didn't want them to focus on that. He wanted them to focus on fulfilling their part of the story. In other words, this command is also for us in the 21st century because we also like to ask that same question. God, this world is a car crash. When are you going to come back and restore your kingdom in fullness? Yeah, right? That, like, like the world... I don't even know what's coming next, right? But it's one thing after another. And we're like, Lord, will you come back quickly? Will you fix this? Will you make it right? Will you restore the earth um, to what it was originally intended to be? Let your kingdom come. Yeah, amen to that. Let your kingdom come, Lord. 
And Jesus said in Acts 1-7, he said, there we read that the Father alone has authority to set those dates and times, and they're not for you to know. And instead of telling them when he was going to come back and restore his kingdom, Jesus gave us, gave them and us assignments to, as we wait for him to return again. Remember, guys, this is just an introduction. There's more coming down the line. Not today. First thing is, we need to let Jesus open our mind to the Scriptures. Jesus said, he opened their, then he opened their mind, sorry, he didn't say, Luke said, Jesus opened their mind to understand the Scriptures, that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. To have our mind open to understand the Scripture is not just to understand the laws and rules of the Bible. It's also un to understand that the epic story, which we have agreed that we are part of, the story that began from the Garden of Eden to the Garden of Gethsemane and ends in the Garden of God in Revelation. We are part of that story. And based on what Jesus said, to understand the Scripture is also to understand the prophecy that is taking place in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and to understand the prophecy that continues to be fulfilled by us. Okay, so that's that part where Jesus tells the disciples, you've seen this prophesied, I will die, I will live again, I will come back to life. And he then prophesies to them to say that now the fulfillment of more prophecy is going to come through, through you as you live out, and we see that in the Acts of the Apostles, and that continues for, that, for us. The part that we are to fulfill is to proclaim the repentance and forgiveness of sins. When everything boils down to it, that is what Jesus has called us to do. Now notice that Jesus didn't ask us to go and condemn people. That is really important. Jesus did not tell us or instruct us to go and condemn people. He instructed us to proclaim forgiveness. Now, that's important for each of us because if the proclamation was condemnation, none of us would be sitting here. We are here because we have heard forgiveness proclaimed. Someone or somewhere you have heard about the forgiveness of Jesus, about believing in Him and, and throwing your life on Him brings you forgiveness, eternal life, remission of sin, in the old scriptures. Yeah? That's a measure of forgiveness. And that's why it's called good news. The message of condemnation is not the good news. The message of forgiveness is the good news. And as I've been kind of reading and studying around this stuff, I find my mind continually turning toward what we theologians call eschatology, the end time. I'm saying we theologians, ironically, by the way. Right, but there's, a, there's a term called eschatology, and, and I'll leave Kenny for maybe another time to explain what that word it means, eschatology, but it basically means the end. It means the end. And trying to understand and know the end time story, the prophecy, is not the same as wanting to jump to the end. I think it's important that we, we take time to read and understand and, and dig into what the, the end times look like, what it's going to look like when Jesus returns. So to, to go there and look and understand 
what the scriptures say about the end times isn't the same as wanting to just immediately get there. We need to know and understand it. Because, like, for me, I'm realizing now that I want to know the end of the story so that I know how to live my life now. The way I live my life now contributes towards the end of the story. The Bible says the disciples lived with joy after understanding their context in the scripture. I, I, I love this. This is about a, a kind of revelation to me that at the end of that passage we read where Jesus re- opens their minds to the scripture and reveals the prophecies and that, it says the, the disciples were joyful, they were praising God, um, they, were, they, were, they, were, they were on a high and, and it's a complete opposite to what they were feeling before. They were living the half-empty glass, Yeah. You know, all through that, you know, leading up to the, the, the crucifixion, even after Jesus revealed himself, there was a glass half-empty attitude until Jesus opened his mind to the, their minds to the Scripture, and then their cups were overflowing because they knew. They knew what they were a part of. They, they got it. Remember Jesus... Sorry, when you think about the end-time story, the end-time story... We know that there's a final judgment, but the time that we live in is an opportunity for forgiveness. So we don't proclaim condemnation, we proclaim forgiveness. There's a time coming, and we need to be aware of it, but that's not our part of the story. And I think maybe we need to get that the right way around, that our mission in the gospel isn't to condemn people, but it's to reveal the goodness, love, grace, mercy of Jesus and a place of forgiveness so that they find him and they go and do others and they take it to the end of the earth, ends of the earth. That's coming down the line. Jesus started his ministry by declaring his mission statement recorded in Isaiah in the Old Testament. He said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. The Lord has anointed me, anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come. That's a proclamation of forgiveness, right? That's not a proclamation of condemnation. Jesus declared his mission statement, his mandate, his prophetic destiny was about the Lord's favor rather than the Lord's judgment. We tend to think that judgment and punishment, culturally, we may think that's a good thing because we want to see good people or those, have, or those that are victims go to heaven and bad people and perpetrators go to hell. The question, the problem we have there is, we then have to ask, who are the victims and who are the perpetrators? And psychologists tell us that most of the perpetrators were victims at one point in their life. See what I mean? So, so it's like once we go there, we're then opening a whole kind of can of worms psychologically. Like, so if we want to condemn people, well, what are we saying about ourselves? Are we not to be condemned? Are we going to apply the same rules to one person and a different set of rules to other? That's why we have to go for forgiveness because it keeps us right with God. It keeps us humble. It keeps us honest. It keeps us real before God. We proclaim forgiveness because we ourselves have been forgiveness. And I'd even suggest that ultimate happiness comes from forgiveness and reconciliation. There's nothing better than 
finding forgiveness in a broken relationship and, and it being reconciled. Anybody experienced that? It's a beautiful thing. I've had that experience a few times and it's just, it's so good. And I think it gives us a sense of what God feels for us, that how he loves us to be forgiven and to be reconciled back to him. And the death and resurrection of Jesus has made this possible. And that's the good news that we are to proclaim. So when our minds are open to the scripture, we find our purpose in life and understand why we're here on earth and our context and the narrative and the story of the scripture. Yeah? You with me? Good. Second thing, quickly. So Jesus has assigned us to open our mind to the scripture. And the second thing is we are to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. It was at this point I realized all I'd written was an introduction. Because this is massive. So we're just going to touch on this and then if God allows me the time and space, I'm going to unpack this uh, over a few weeks. In the book of Acts, the disciples asked Jesus whether he would restore the kingdom of Israel now. We've read that. Their interest was in the here and now. Their interest was in their situation, their space, where they were at, what they could see and touch, what affected them. But Jesus' interest was in the entire world. Jesus' interest was in the entire world. And when Jesus talks about the ends of the earth, it, it, it actually is more literally translated as the edges of the world. It's going to the edge. And I think I, this really spoke to me. I, didn't, I hadn't come across that before, that this word end was actually... A lot of commentators would say that the word edge is more accurate. Jesus wants us to go to the edges of the world to proclaim the good news. Jesus didn't call us to be mediocre or average. He's called us to go to the edge, to go to the extremes to witness to the world. He didn't want us just to sit here and wait for people to show up. He's called us to be witnesses, not just seekers, students, or sages. He wants us to be witnesses. And when our minds are open to the understanding of the scripture and the significance of the prophecies and the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we find our role in this epic story as the witness, as witnesses to the salvation of the world. Did you get that there? Did that land right? I'm not sure that I could have maybe worded that better. When our minds are open to the understanding of the scripture, and the significance of the prophecies and the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we find our role in this epic story as witness to the salvation of the world. Jesus has made the extreme sacrifice. Jesus went to the edge. He literally went to hell and back, literally went to hell and back, into death and darkness. And now it's time for his disciples to follow him out to the edges of creation, announcing his gift of salvation to all people. And the generation of witnesses extends from Jesus' 12 disciples to the millions of disciples of Jesus that populate the world right now, today. And each one of us is still being called to go to the ends of the earth to bring people to Christ. 
You know, geographically, our world is no longer a mystery. You, you, if you've got a sat-nav in your car, you can pull up a map of pretty much anywhere in the world. You can go into Google Earth, Google Maps, and you can find a map of anywhere. Maps getting beam, beamed to the dashboards of our car, maps getting beamed to our phones, laptops, tablets, whatever. There's not really much mystery left in discovery of the world. There's no mysterious edges to fall off. There's no unsealed seas to explore. But there are plenty of edges that require us to witness to. I think Jesus is calling us to go to the edge of mission where his name has never been heard or where his name is only known as a curse or a swear word. I think Jesus wants us to go to the edge of mission where our towns and cities have had their hearts hollowed out, where there's hopelessness. If we claim to be disciples of Jesus, then we claim to be witnesses. To be a disciple is to witness. Maybe the edges that we need to go to are, we need to go to the edge of hope where people have come to the end of their self. They get to the end of the rope. They're mired in hopelessness and despair. Maybe when Jesus said, go to the ends of the earth, maybe he was thinking about that as well. For life has been lived on the edge, a disciple must be a witness to the unconditional love of Jesus, to his unmerited grace, and to the unlimited hope that he brings us. So that's my introduction. And really just what I want to leave you thinking about this week is this, what is your part in this story? What is your part in this story? I'm not going to suggest what it might be. I want, you to th- I want you to think about that. What is your part in this story? Because you are written into it. You know, it's going to be amazing when we, Jesus returns, I think he's going to show us what he'd written about us, what had been written about us, what was planned, where the little things that we did had big impact. Just want to encourage you with, with something. I'm going to ask Billy to come up. Billy, who said he would never speak publicly, right? So this is your, this is this is for Billy. Billy, come up. But, but Billy, encourage him. Encourage him. No, no, you'll need this. Need this. All right, don't worry, it's all coming. It's just the first time, Billy, it's just the first time. Just talking about being part of a story, like, I'm going to give a quick wee recap to build up to what you're going to say, right? Billy, Billy and Kayla, who are, we love, we love these guys, they volunteered to come on the team, and Gavin and Cernan's team to, to DTI. And they said, they said yes to that, but what they didn't know that that was going to be an incredible part of their story, because the Holy Spirit touched Billy in ways that he didn't even know were possible. That'd be fair. <laughs> God took him and used him. And then he came to the conference with us this week. 
And guess what happened? The Holy Spirit took him again. <laughs> so, do, so do you want to just tell, tell us the story? No, you do. No, no. no. <laughs> um, Debbie, Debbie Wright was speaking in the evening session. Was it Friday night? Friday, Friday yeah. night. And just right at the very end of the session, just before prayer, she said she... I was sitting in the front row because of Lorraine and Andrew <laughs> running in the door every night. Uh, <laughs> and she looked right at me in the, in the front row and said, um, there's somebody in here with a problem with her arm that has spasms and there's serious discomfort. And she was staring right at me as she said it. Um, so I was, and I have for about eight weeks or so, I've had a problem in my hand and couldn't grip a pen at work or lift anything too heavy. And she obviously asked me up to pray and the person that prayed was Noah, who we met at DTI. Oh, yeah, one, yeah. one of the youth for DTI that we met actually played with the, the football. F- played football with him. He came up and prayed for me and, and Debbie came down for the stage and prayed for me and after about 10 minutes or so of prayer, um, almost all the pain in my, my wrist was away and it was back to as close to normal as what it's been in the last three months or so, which I was never expecting, obviously. But being able to grip a pen and write notes in my diary when I'm reading, and it's, uh, it's been great having the feeling back in my wrist again. Brilliant. Thanks, man. See, Billy's a part of the story. Debbie Wright speaks. She decides God tells her that there's someone in the room that he wants to heal. So she gives a description of the ailment. Billy didn't have to say yes to that, but Billy stepped into the story stepping forward and then God did his thing he sent his spirit and he healed him do you get it? you get it? God speaks, we say yes we move into what he's doing we look for what he's up to we join in with it and then we're in the story yeah, it's beautiful isn't it? it's fantastic and guys, this is open to all of us and even if you don't know Jesus, if you've never given your life to him, you can be part of that story. And if you've been on the road with Jesus for years and years and years and years, and maybe some of this is a bit of a revelation, a bit of an eye-opener, it, there's still time. You can get in it and be part of the story by saying yes to Jesus. Why, why don't we stand? We're just going to, just got the kids will be, they've only got a few kids through there today. We'll just, we'll let, we'll, 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 we'll let them have an extra five minutes. That was just, sorry, just someone came out of my mind there that, that was a, a strange word. I just sense that God, when, Kenny, you can correct me later if this is actually theologically right. I, I feel, <laughs> 
because, because, because I know you will if it isn't. <laughs> we need to indulge the Holy Spirit. Is that indulge Him? Is that, you know, like just just let Him do what He wants. Just like be indulgent. Just say, like Spirit, just just come and just come and do what you do. Instead of trying to shape his work and what he does in the, our framework, we need to just be indulgent and just say, Spirit, come and if, we, if it causes us to go over time or causes us to be late for something, or just let, let, let us be indulgent with him and let him be indulgent with us. Does that make sense? Good. I think that's, that's good, isn't it? Thanks, Kenny. That's theologically sound. I knew when I was saying it. It's good. Yeah, we need to indulge them. So let's, Holy Spirit, will you come? Will you open our minds to the Scriptures? Would you reveal the truth and the reality of your Word in this moment? Would you allow us to be written into your story? And would we allow you to be written into our story? It's time to say yes. We want to see God move, right? Yeah? Then we need to get in the story. We need to get in the story.